Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, we want to thank you all for joining us this evening. I have to say it's kind of weird being back behind the controls of a show after the last two nights hosting Midnight in the Desert where Keith was running all the technical stuff and... (laughs) I got to just do the talking. I wonder, do you think we can get Keith to just, pr- just produce this show remotely too? Maybe. Mm-hmm. We'll have to ask him. But, uh, we are here tonight to talk about a very fascinating, and I may be distracted a little bit tonight too. If you're watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, we have the TV in the Spooky Studio on tonight's episode of Most Haunted Towns on the Travel Channel. There's, uh, Bristol County Sheriff Thomas Hodgson <laughs> making his Travel Channel debut. Uh, but uh, it is the episode of Haunted Towns where they visited Fall River and investigated the Lizzie Boyden Bed and Breakfast and the Abbey Grill. So I've got that in the background just to see if there's anything different from the way I remember it from Haunted Towns when it aired a year ago. But uh, hopefully you're all watching that and hopefully you're all tuned in for tonight's episode of Spooky South Coast. And of course, I want to say hi to everyone in the chat room. You can join the chat room by going to the YouTube channel for Spooky South Coast. That's youtube.com slash spooky south coast. But you can get to it directly from SpookySouthCoast.com as well. And that's where you can see as well as listen to the show. And everybody's in there already interacting with each other, and they're looking to interact with you as well in the chat room. So if you listen to the show on podcast, if you listen to us later on on the Dark Matter Digital Network, you're missing out on part of the fun because we always have a good time in there. We always have side conversations, and we always have... In jokes, we'll say, yeah. that not everybody gets. Uh, so all of that's happening in the chat room. So it's always fun when you can listen live and and enjoy it. And I, I want to thank everybody who listened and supported me on Midnight in the Desert the last few months, as well as everyone that tuned into the BartCast this afternoon. I was the guest on the BartCast on LGAB, and uh, all the LGABers seem to be positive in their responses. And uh, they said that they're, a lot of them said they're going to join us tonight during the show. So we should have some fun in the chat room throughout the course of the night. We're going to be talking tonight about something that is, I guess we could call it the dirty little secret of paranormal investigation. That being that not always when we capture what we think is, the word most people use is evidence, but when we capture these things and we think that we've kind of boiled it down to what it is, Sometimes it's not what we think it is. Sometimes we just want it to be what it is. So we'll be talking about that coming up with our guests, Chris Carr, and an old friend of the program, Clarissa Vasquez. We'll talk about their new book, Debunking Common Paranormal Myths, Exploring Psychosomatic Pareidolia. And I think I said it right. Yes, you did. (laughs) That just rolled off my tongue for some reason. After all the, it's been what, how many years now that we've been doing this show? Almost 13. Yeah. And every time I try to say it, I get tongue tied and can't, for some reason, my, my brain just can't wrap itself around the word. You know, you, I I need to actually find the order and the chaos of those letters when I look at the word. Yeah, but you know what it means. I do. Half the battle. I do. Or as it's commonly referred to on the ghost hunting shows as, uh, as, uh, matrixing. Yeah. So that's kind of the the shorthand for it. That's kind of what you'll hear Jason and Grant refer to it as, especially on some of those older episodes of Ghost Hunters. But 
pareidolia is the actual word for it. And uh, we'll be talking about that with Clarissa and Chris coming up. I did send out Skype requests, so hopefully they get them, or hopefully they at least can send a number and we can connect with them coming up a little bit later on. So the last few nights, uh, when I was hosting Midnight in the Desert, we were talking about a couple of different topics. Uh, the first night, Chris Balzano jumped on because the guest from the first night, Dr. Neil Zipkowski, the president of the Lilydale Assembly, did not join us in time uh, for the show. So we pushed him off to Friday, and Chris was scheduled for Friday, so we brought him on to Thursday. A little bit of a shuffle around, but it worked out fine. And uh, Chris and I got really in-depth with some of the... I mean, anybody that's heard Chris on this show, Chris Balzano on Spooky South Coast, you know that we always tend to go deeper than just the surface of these paranormal topics. And we dug really, really deep. We still could have gone deeper, but we dug pretty deep. Uh, in our discussion on legend tripping versus paranormal investigation, uh, the need to have urban legends and myths in our society, what it all means, some of the common themes and tropes of them. And it was, uh, it was to me... It sounded like we were letting the world listen into one of our phone calls, but uh, it's certainly something that the the audience enjoyed. And then last night we did connect with Doctor Neil, and then disconnected with Doctor Neil, and then connected with Doctor Neil, and disconnected, and that kind of went on throughout the course of the night. But we did our best, and uh, we ended up having a fascinating discussion, if not you know an occasionally interrupted one about Lily Dale, about psychic abilities, about mediumship, and all of that. So if you are not a subscriber to Midnight in the Desert and you want to hear those shows, well, then you have to go and join up. It's only $5, $5 a month, and you will get every episode of Midnight in the Desert ever. So in addition to getting the new episodes the next day, as soon as they're finished airing live, you can also listen back to all the way when Art Bell was hosting the show. So it's $5 well spent. I highly recommend it. Go to midnightinthedesert.com, and you'll be able to get your subscription to that. And, you know, you know, your spooky South Coast collection won't be complete unless you download those two episodes, because it's kind of like a spooky South Coast. And I want to thank Keith and Michelle and, of course, Dave Schrader for having me be part of that show and allowing me to. I won't lie. There was a little bit of a geek out. For Chris and I, when during one of the breaks, I sent him a message on Facebook and I said, you know, like, we're, we're broadcasting on Art Bell's radio station right now. We're broadcasting on KNYE. Like, we are talking to the Kingdom of Nye right now. Like, this is kind of a, a, a weird thing. Like, we never thought we would ever be there. And so, uh, we did have a little bit of a geek out, but that's all right. Uh, we we handled it like true professionals by giggling like a couple of little schoolgirls, like you do with everything. Right, pretty much. The uh, if you again, if you do want to download those, you can also go back and hear from a couple of weeks ago when when Dave announced that I was going to be a guest host, and I was kind of Dave's guest for an hour, where we kind of just went back and forth on some paranormal topics. So you can check that out as well. All part of those archives at midnightinthedesert.com. dot com. If you want to call into the show at any course of the uh, any point during the course of the show, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to call in and chime in with whatever is on your mind from a paranormal basis. And of course, during the discussion with our guests, we'd like you to keep your questions and comments related to the topic 
But other than that, any time that you are listening to Spooky South Coast and we don't have a firm topic that we are sticking with with a guest or anything, you can always just call in with your questions, your thoughts, your comments. We welcome that. You know, other paranormal shows make a big deal about having a night of open lines. Our lines are always open, mainly because we're too lazy to screen them. <laughs> but it's also it's the fun of it, too. I was talking earlier on, on the BartCast about the adrenaline rush of hitting this button over here and not knowing where it's going to take you. Now, keep in mind, we don't screen the calls, but we do have software that logs the calls. So it's not like you're going to be able to call up and prank us and we're not going to be able to track you down and know who you are. And it's it's our policy to give, give out over the air the phone number of anybody that does that, so keep that in mind. But we don't we don't ask you what your name is, where you're calling from. We don't ask you what you want to talk about until you're actually live on the air. That's the way that Art Bell did it. Well, sometimes we ask the name. No, we do. Yeah, when you call in, but beforehand we don't ask you all that information. Like, there's nobody in the in the room behind us, like saying, "What's your name? Where are you calling from? What yep. do you want to talk about?" We don't have and a then, call screener, correct. and then stacking the calls based on you know what where they want the topic to go. So, it's certainly uh, it's certainly your show just as much as it is ours. That's the way that we look at it. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty are those numbers. So in talking about pareidolia and matrixing and psychosomatic experiences on investigations, I'm looking back and thinking back over the course of our career as investigators. You know, Moniz has been doing this longer than Matt Costa and myself, but just in looking at the investigations and the events and the things that we've done together, I can start to see where some of that could come into play, where... You know, even just in sharing evidence and sharing data with other investigators or people coming up to us at a at a paracon and showing us photos, all it takes is somebody saying, "Do you see this face right here?" And already you're going to be looking for that face. So I'm kind of asking that when people see, here's the here's a catch with that. The other side of that is, if they come up to you and show you a photograph. Which, which would you rather have, Moniz? I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to pose this to you. Which would you rather have? If somebody came up to you with a photo, okay, would you rather that they said, do you see this face right here? Or would you rather they said, what do you see in this photo? I would rather, what do you see in this photo? I don't know if I like the pressure of that. Well, you're getting an honest opinion from me in that point. Because you're asking what I see. But do you're, you, by doing do you, it the other way, you're telling me what I should see. Do you feel the pressure to come up with something if they ask you that? Do you feel like you have to see something well, if they ask you that? If they're looking for an honest opinion or if they're looking to be placated, it's two different things. Well, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like, are I'm, you trying, I, I, just somebody coming up to you at a, at a convention, you're sitting at a table, you know, you're, 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 talking with people about paranormal stuff, and they say, hey, let me show you this photo on my phone. What do you see? Right. Um, Would you feel compelled to have to... Would you feel comfortable looking at them and saying, I don't see anything? It all depends upon the person and the circumstances. I know some people you have to take with kid gloves because this is, you know, something serious to them. It may be personal because they think it's, you know, their mother, their father, their 
aunt, uncle, whatever. And you don't want to try and hurt them because it, it has that deep meaning to them. And, but if they're asking for an honest opinion, yeah, I'll give an honest opinion. There has been times when people have, you know, sent me a photograph and a message or shown it to me in person and said, you know, what do you see? And I have to, you know, say, like, I don't see anything. But generally I try as hard as I can to look in there and kind of see at least what they might be talking about. And more often than not, when, when somebody has to say, what do you see? I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to, and even if you point to it and say, do you see this face right here? Like at that point, I'm already unable to kind of accept that there's something anomalous there. Okay. The old man of the mountain, even though it's not there anymore, you driven by it and see the old man no longer in the mountain. Right. But did you see the face in that? I did. But then again, I approached that by my dad telling me, hey, look, when we turn around this corner, you're going to be able to see the old man in the mountain. So I was already going into that with the expectation of seeing a face on the side of a mountain. And the same thing with Profile Rock. We were told when we went out there that we were going to see a rock that had a profile of Massasoit. So when I walked out there, that's what I was already pre-wired, hardwired to see the face of Massasoit in the side of this rock. And I was actually a little bit disappointed because by the time that we got to Profile Rock, years of erosion had already kind of taken away what once was. But the, the, maybe pressure's not the right word, because it's not like it's life or death if you don't see anything in the photograph. But there is kind of an an expectation when they hand you that photograph. They're hoping and praying that you're going to see the same thing that they do. They're looking for you to validate what it is that they think that they see. And I, I used to feel strongly about this. I used to feel strongly about saying to them, I don't see that. There's nothing there. I think you're mistaken. That's this. That's that. That's this. And Jeff Belanger is actually one that told me, he's like, listen, first of all, you don't know for sure. You don't, you, you just think that that's what the most likely possibility is, but you can't say 100% that it's not a ghost or that it's not, you know, some sort of spirit activity or something. So you should never really say definitively that it isn't. But also sometimes it's just easier to say to the person, oh yeah, yeah. So now there's like hundreds of people that are listening to the show that have shown me things they're like, oh, so when you said, oh, yeah, yeah, to me, you were just, you know, placating me and you were just BSing me so that I'd leave you alone? Oh, yeah, 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 I was. No, no, not always. But generally, like, that's the way that you have to approach it because you weren't there. You don't know the circumstances. You can't say for sure whether or not it is that. So what you have to do is you have to kind of just say to yourself, what matters more in this situation? What matters more? Does it matter more if I enlighten someone by showing them what the possibilities are of what it could be, how to debunk this photograph, how to learn a little bit about some of the false positives that you can get? Or is it more beneficial to just let them think that what they have is what they have? Keeping in mind that that almost gives your stamp of approval, that almost gives your endorsement to that evidence so that if they go and show it to somebody else, they can say, well, Matt Moniz from Spooky South Coast told me that you know, he saw it, so why don't you see it? If Matt Moniz saw it, 
And so then all of a sudden that person who thinks that it's just nothing in the photograph but, you know, a dust or moisture or something, they say, oh, really? Matt Moniz just buys into every orb that he sees in a photograph? So it's a real catch-22 when people come up to you with those kind of things. Well, that's what I said in the beginning. It all depends. Is this a researcher that's actually looking for my honest opinion, or is this, um, we'll, say, we'll call him a legend tripper just going out having fun, you know, are are they looking for just validation? You know, you it's like answering a, a thing to a little kid that's asking about, you know, do you see the Easter Bunny? Well, don't start telling me that the Easter Bunny isn't real. Well, I didn't say it wasn't real. Because I don't want to know who's leaving all those eggs around my house otherwise. Uh, and I think that uh, we will connect with our guests. I think that they're both ready. I am uh, working right now to make sure that I don't screw everything up when I try to do this. So I will bring them on. We will. See, it's so much easier to do it now than it was trying to do it on uh, on Midnight in the Desert. So we'll see. Oh, nope. That, I got a busy signal on that one. Try again. Already 0 for 1. This is, I don't know why that was so loud to you. It wasn't that loud to me. That's the volume I got turned on here. This is where it would come in handy to have a producer. Hello, Clarissa. Are you with us? Um, should be able to hear me. Hello, Clarissa, can you hear me? I did what I was supposed to do, man. I'm in audition over here, right? Or do I need this one up, huh? Hello, Clarissa, can you hear me? All right, I think I have Chris here. Chris, can you hear me? I can, Tim. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, we're going to try and connect with Clarissa as well. Seem to be having a, a little bit of an issue with that, but give me one second. The wonders of modern technology. It usually works pretty well. Have they changed anything in the uh, then again, they I set up? I don't think that we've uh, tried to... Bring multiple people. Why isn't it allowing me to bring on another person? Uranus is in retrograde, I says. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> All right, I'm still trying here. I'm still trying. I promise we're usually more professional than this. All right, here we go. Now hopefully she'll be able to hear us, because I know if you can hear me, then that means she should be able to hear me. Can you hear me now? We can hear you now, yes. Yay! All right. So uh, we do have uh, both Clarissa and Chris on the line. So now that uh, we've connected with you, now I'll read your bios, because that's the kind of pro I am. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris Carr and Clarissa Vasquez have nearly 30 years of combined paranormal research experience, being big fans of Tesla, Einstein, and Tyson, They believe in taking an analytical approach to investigating and strive to utilize the scientific method whenever possible 
While Chris has been has investigated with different teams in the New England area, Clarissa founded the Colorado Coalition of Paranormal Investigators in 2004 and has remained with them since. When they're not out looking for ghosts, they both love to fish, enjoy the outdoors, explore cemeteries, and spend time with their families. Families come after the cemeteries? That's a little weird. They have worked together on <laughs> theories and ideas for improving the field of afterlife research since 2012. However, this is their first literary collaboration. The book, I believe it was just released, right? It just came out? Yeah, yesterday. So this book being debunking common paranormal myths, exploring psychosomatic pareidolia, and if I'm saying that wrong, feel free to correct me because it's I feel like it's the first time I've ever said it right. So I'm <laughs> nailed it, Sam. Okay, good. Like I said, thirteen years of doing this stuff is the first time I've ever pronounced it correctly. It must be the magic of having you guys here with us. <laughs> well, thank That's you. It. Thank you both for joining us and uh and this is, uh, Clarissa, I think this is like your third or fourth time being with us. But, Chris, I think this is the first time that we've ever had you on the show. Yeah, that's correct, Tim. And, and, I'm a fan, though. I like the show. Well, thank you. And you're in our area, right? Where, whereabouts in New England are you? I am. I am. I'm, I'm presently in Fall River. Oh, God. Not far we, from, from Lizzie Borden. We should have had you just come in. Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would have made the Skype connection easier, that's for sure. Well, you know, you're welcome to come by anytime uh being that close. We're actually watching the Lizzie Borden episode of Most Haunted Towns on Travel Channel behind us as the show is going on, so this is it's synchronicity. It's all coming together. Excellent, excellent. Well, we were both at uh, SK Pierce last night in Gardner and uh it was a, a long night of investigating, so I'm trying to catch up on a little bit of Napping and, and an evidence review or data review. Oh, see, I didn't know yeah, that they were letting people back in. <laughs> so, wait, so Clarissa, you're here too? I was. I'm in Gettysburg now. Oh, man. You're getting all over yeah. the place. I'm in the middle of the Great American Paranormal Road Trip. That's true. I remember, yeah. I remember seeing something about that. Yeah. Uh, a 15-day road trip. We've already been to New Orleans, uh, Savannah, Georgia, um, of course, we spent quite a bit of time in Massachusetts. Uh, I think we were in Massachusetts for four days total. We're in Gettysburg for two nights. Um, we're going to hit Chicago, Deadwood, South Dakota, and then go home to Colorado. Where else did you check out while you were in Massachusetts? Um, we spent a couple days in Salem. And uh, like, like Chris said, we investigated the S.K. Pierce Mansion last night. And that was a lot of fun. So, obviously, you still have to go over the evidence, but did anything happen at the S.K. Pierce Mansion that seemed especially creepy or interesting? You know, we were using some new technology uh, last night. Uh, I know both the team that Chris works with and the team that I work with, you know, we were all using some new technology last night. We have, uh, in our possession, um, both models of the SLS camera. And so we were getting some interesting things on the SLS. I'm still working to debunk uh, how that SLS works. Uh, um, uh, it, was, it was it was a lot of. Fun. I think you're dropping out a little bit on us, Clarissa. Oh no! I, that's what happens when you're on a road trip. You never know how uh, the last in hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we've 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 gone through that quite a bit ourselves too. Uh, so, uh, and, and Chris, is that your first time being at the SK Pierce Mansion? Being somebody from from the area? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's beautiful, and uh, I guess it was just renovated last year. Um, it still has a lot of the original furnishings and 
is really something to see. It, it, well, what's really great about it is how much work they have done on it from where it was. Uh, I think the first time that we went there was, oh, at least four or five years ago. And it was in, it was in bad shape. But the work that, uh, that Rob and Allison have put into it and the, you know, the oversight of Marion and everybody working together to kind of restore what will be probably one of the premier bed and breakfast destinations in, in Massachusetts when it's done. It's it's phenomenal the the love that they're putting into this place for something that they kind of almost kind of bought on a lark you know they they had never actually owned a, a haunted place they'd only owned uh, like a haunted attraction a like a haunted house type place mm. and so but they've fallen in love with the house and they realize the the responsibility that they have to restore it to what it once was yeah it's absolutely gorgeous the important they're very accommodating. Um, you know, it, again, it was my first time going there, so I, it was a lot to take in. It was beautiful. The important question yeah, is, did you have pizza from across the street, though? They, must, they, told, <laughs> they told us last night that we were actually the very last investigation uh, that they were going to allow in there. Really? Hmm. That's from yeah. from what I understand, it was supposed to be yeah, part of allowing- the future of it. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That was us, what the caretaker told us last. There seemed to be some mixed information there. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. We'll get to the bottom of it. I'll just, I'll. You uh, know, it, it's not a bed and breakfast yet, and I think that that right. was the goal. But uh, I don't know if they're going to do investigations and the bed and breakfast like Lizzie Borden does, that kind of thing, or um, just go for a straight up bed and breakfast. Well, I'll I'll, I'll check in with Rob and Allison uh, and find out about that. But uh, certainly, you know, when you're on an investigation and, and you've seen it yourselves firsthand and, and all your years of experience, there is a tendency to want to, you go into it wanting to find something. You go into it wanting to at least come away. Uh, Clarissa, I'll ask you first. I mean, does it feel fruitless if you go on an investigation and you come out with nothing happening as a result of your time being spent there? No. Uh, we're we're totally losing you, Clarissa. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a, a call in number to call in directly. Uh, I think that'll probably be better. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll 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 send you that over Skype. I'll send you the call in number to call in. The number. It'll be it'll be easier this way. Yeah. Skype is actually messaging me right now. They're like, well, "How's the call quality?" Poor. I'm like, uh, "Well, it's it's not your fault, Skype." I can't blame you this time. But uh, I'll ask you that question then, Chris. Uh, you know, do you feel like you need to come away with something for the time spent investigating? Well, I think everybody wants to. You know, that's a natural inclination. And it, part of the, the point, I think, in the book, you know, is that you invest all this time and money and um, effort you know, to, to get out to these places to, to have that big night and, um, you want something back. And I, I think people want, want it to the point of not on purpose, but in, you know, inventing evidence. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like that's the, the big problem is that, uh, so many folks that get involved in this, they, they have the 44 minute approach. They watch an episode of Ghost Adventures or Ghost Hunters and they think that that is the way that it's going to go when they start becoming an investigator. The next thing you know, they're spending eight hours in the dark with nothing to show for it. 
<laughs> right. Right. You kind of have to be but, willing to ad- admit when you go into it that that might be the case. Absolutely. You know, and I, I don't think it, it helps the cause to, you know, present, you know, dust orbs or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> as, as evidence in saying that. I, I think that the impression that people who maybe aren't as familiar with it is that, you know, the, you know, this is nothing. You're, you're just presenting dust or, you know, it doesn't help the, the reality of it that the, you know, things do occur. But um, it, it's not so easy to capture. I'm just uh, sending Clarissa the right call-in number, not the wrong call-in number. So if you're listening, use the second one that I just sent you. Uh, at least I didn't give away my cell phone number on the air, which I've done in the past, <laughs> too. Uh, the the purpose, though, of, of investigating is that. It's an investigation into what is going on. It's not it, – nobody's ever saying when they go into the outset of this – that you have to come away with something as a result of it. You're looking into it to see what it could be, what it might not be, what people are thinking is something else. That's kind of the point. So it, to me, it's if you walk away with any kind of explanation or even no explanation at all, there was never any promise of a resolution when you went into it. That's right. I mean, there are no guarantees. The one guarantee that there will be is that uh, it, it, you know, you'll have a chance to hone your skill You'll have a chance to uh, give it kind of a, uh, oh, look, I'm on TV. I just, <laughs> I, made it in, I made it into this one. Anyway, sorry, I got distracted. It's very distracting when I'm like, hey, that looks like a shirt that I have. I'm breaking up a little bit. All right, I think I've got that fixed now. And Clarissa, are you with us? Oh, i got to turn your button on there. How about now, Clarissa? I, I can hear you guys just fine. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay. And can you guys hear each other? Wi Fi. Yes. What, what what hotel are you staying at, Clarissa? What what We're what? at the eighteen sixty three Gettysburg Inn. Well that's why they have eighteen sixty three Wi Fi. <laughs> right. It's not as it's not as good as the modern Wi Fi. <laughs> but we yeah. can hear you now. Now no, now no everything's Wi-Fi. working well. So uh, I will uh, posit to you the same question that I asked Chris about uh, the need to have. Uh, this is really freaking me out. <laughs> I should turn the TV off. Uh, the need to have, um, you know, some sort of a resolution as a result of an investigation. If if you ever went into something feeling like, uh, you know, you, you're kind of shortchanging yourself if you don't walk out with at least something. No, um, I don't. I don't feel jilted or slighted or. Or anything. Um, if anything, you know, it's it's good practice, um, and we're doing ourselves and clients. If we have them, we're doing them a service by, you know, going in and debunking what we can and finding rational explanations for what we can. And you know, if we have to make repeated trips, we have to make repeated trips. But there's there's no such thing as a wasted investigation. I feel like though, you know, we're looking at this from the approach of. Uh, responsible investigators we're looking at this of the approach of people who are doing things the right way and and i just have the feeling uh chris that the book came about because of so many people who are doing things not necessarily the the purposefully wrong way but they're doing things incorrectly because they're just not aware of what they're doing that's true tim you know it, it is just that uh presentation of uh data that people collect that you know, and that feeling like we were explaining how you want it to be true. You want it to, you know, not be wasting your time. That we got into a discussion, Clarissa and I, about that. Um, 
you know, and realize this is like uh, a psychosomatic symptom, you know, <laughs> um, it, it's prevalent. There's a lot of this out there. And when you say psychosomatic, though, what, what what do you mean in terms of it being a psychosomatic symptom of of the just being there makes you want to find something? Yeah, you know, again, you know, investing that time, energy, and effort, and and coming back with a you know a bunch of videos like, again of dust or you know noise and that is on your audio recorder that you know is clearly nothing or somebody whispering on on your team or things of that nature and making a bigger deal out of it, it it's a natural there's a natural inclination to you know want to present that to to find something that's you, the, the psychosomatic part but there's also there's uh th- and this is something that came up in in the discussion that i had with somebody recently where there's also that psychosomatic aspect too clarissa when somebody sees something or thinks that they see something and says it out loud and the expectation in the room then is from everybody to have to see that same exact thing Right, you know, and that that's pretty common. Um, you know, it's and and it ultimately boils down into a vis- visual or, or auditory version of the telephone game. You know, where everybody sees something, but it could be just a little bit different uh, what they see. But a lot of it could also be subconsciously. Um, you know, you want so badly to have that experience, and so you begin to see, you know, things. You know, you begin to see shadows. Case in point, last night, um, Chris and another investigator and I, we were walking through some of the bedrooms at FK Pierce, and I kept telling Chris, I'm like, those headboards, you know, look like somebody standing there hunched over, and, you know, and it's it, it, that's exactly what it was, was pareidolia, you know, because my brain was making a rational conclusion out of incomplete data. We were in the dark. You couldn't see things clearly, and because we were, we were in a reported haunted house looking for evidence of paranormal activity. You know, we already had that psychosomatic implant, you know, that that could be something we could encounter. That does happen, though, so often where, uh, and, and I've, I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of being in a situation where some of us are experiencing something, and I turn around and I say to the rest of the group, you know, do you see this? And the question shouldn't be, do you see this? It should be, what do you see? Exactly. And, and have them kind of give it to you from their own their own lens. Uh, by, I think there was the fir- very first EVP I ever caught was at the, the Wolf Island the Cemetery. Cemetery yeah. And, you know, we weren't exactly sure what it was that we heard. We put it out to the audience of what they thought it was, and we got back so many different types of responses and and as soon as they said it we could hear each response in each one you know it was very much uh yanni and laurel of uh of the evp world <laughs> we actually address that in the book <laughs> oh do you oh wow. yeah <laughs> and use that as an example i mean the timing of that was pretty good it's certainly yeah. something that uh that people are familiar with now after taking the internet by storm yeah absolutely and Chris and I were already working on on this project when the whole Yanni Laurel thing came about, and it was it was a no brainer. We're like, we have to include this. And so I'm just going to ask each one of you individually, Clarissa, is it Yanni or Laurel? It's Yanni. And Chris? Ah, <laughs> uh, Laurel, totally. <laughs> I'm so glad that you uh, you don't agree on what it is. It, which you know, which proves the point. You're it's it's coming through your own filter, coming through your own lens, and it's not going to be the same from one person to the next. 
Well, and we even went so far as to try to, uh, in a in a manner of speaking, debunk it. You know, we were both listening to that sound file on different devices. You know, using headphones, without headphones. You know, on the television, on the, you know, on the tablet, on the computer, on the cell phone. You know, we're trying, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what was what was going on. You know, the that was causing, you know, that could, that could affect the outcome of that. Sure, using different speakers and such, you know, that are tuned differently, uh, it would bring about different results. There really Plus is. This is the natural, uh, I'm sorry, inclination too for your own ears and the way your ears were turned, and we go into that in that chapter. There really is the need to, uh, when you are, even even just when you're, somebody's playing something for you, you know, there is kind of that that need to completely take everything out of your mind. You know, you have to kind of get rid of every thought that you may be having at that moment because even just something else that's on your mind at that time can distract you and can take away the purity of the experience of, of listening what it is that you're listening to or, or looking at the photograph or the piece of video that you're looking at. You really need to kind of just wipe the slate clean before you can analyze anything. Absolutely. But, in, I mean, that's easier said than done, too. Do you, uh, Chris, would you have any recommendations for somebody that wants to uh, look at a piece of, of data to say, you know, here's a way to kind of focus in on it and to kind of clear all that stuff out of your mind? Or is it just something that you end up figuring out how to do after time? Well, a little of both. I, I would say, you know, take a break. Um, and I know when I first started doing this stuff, I would just spend hours and hours listening to the same stuff, you know, the same recording over and over, trying to figure out what is that word, is it a word, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, after three hours of listening to the same audio, you start to hear all kinds of things in it, you know, and that I was definitely guilty of, of this, you know, psychosomatic, um, issue where you start to hear things, you know, your brain naturally plays tricks on you. So I think it's good to take a break, step away from it for a while, you know, come back fresh, um, use headsets that are, you know, maybe flatly tuned like studio monitor headsets, uh, rather than, you know, um, Maybe cheaping out on a headset and just using, you know, earbuds from, from Dollar Tree or something like that, you know, spend a little money on that, um, it is very helpful. I, I do find too that the, the higher end equipment is, you know, to me, being a bit of an audiophile, that's what I want. I want the best quality microphone recording it. I want the best quality headphones listening back to it. And the debate has always been there for as long as I've been involved in this stuff that, Sometimes it's better to have the lower quality stuff because that causes more uh, external noise that can allow things to come through more easily. Uh, Clarissa, in your opinion, would you rather have the most pristine audio possible or do you think that there needs to be a little bit of, of uh, background noise to help things uh, come about, to help things kind of manifest? You know, my personal preference, you know, I've got one of the top-of-the-line audio recorders that I use for my research, um, but every now and then I go old school. Uh, depending on, you know, the location and, you know, the history and, you know, if evidence has been collected there prior, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't hurt to go old school. I still have a couple of the old analog micro recorders and, and, uh, but in fact, we, we address the whole white noise, 
during uh, EVP sessions in the book, too. Tim, you're just outlining our chapters here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Chris, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you're well aware of the fact that uh, because it's on TV so much, every paranormal investigator wants to go out and get the, the Panasonic DDR-60, which is, you know, at this point, what, like a 15-year-old recorder, maybe even older than that, and they they have a lot of noise, but people want these because they say the best stuff comes through these. And I can tell you that when we were, you know, picking up equipment to use on Haunted Towns, that was something that was on their wish list of things to get. And I said, why would you want this old piece of equipment that doesn't really give you any better sound quality? It just gives you more external noise when you could spend that same amount of money on some condenser microphones and a mixing board and actually be able to have much better control over the sound that's coming in. And then you really know that when something comes through that it is something that was anomalous. It's something that wasn't just uh, a mistake coming through. But yet everybody wants to get one of these hunk, hunk of junk recorders that now go for $1,000 a piece. <laughs> yeah, at least $1,000, right? I've seen them for, for more than that even. It's, wish- it's kind of crazy. Um, I mean, I've also heard really good examples of EVPs with them, you know, um, for sure. You know, and I think there's a lot of uh, anticipation built up. I, I don't know. Maybe, you know... The fact that they want it so bad <laughs> helps. I, I don't know. Well, um, I, I can't, you know, say that it, it makes things better, though. I, I don't believe it does. And and that's what I wonder. I wonder if, you know, if you do hear a really good quality EVP come over one of those Panasonics, is it not really this, the case that you would have gotten that over something else? And maybe if you were using better quality equipment when that came through, it would actually be uh, even more easy to understand and, and even and stand out even more through better quality equipment. I don't know. I'm just somebody that would always prefer to have the best available when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it would it would be. I prefer the clearer stuff, but I, I do understand why people like them. And I, and I think more than more than anything, it's become kind of a status symbol to have among people as well. Definitely. Yeah, probably. I mean, Clarissa, you mentioned the SLS system, which mm-hmm. that became the hot thing a few years ago. To the point where you know people start making them in their in their garages on their workbenches by taking their Xbox Connect camera and trying mm-hmm. to adapt it. And and Bill Chapel, who put out the first system, is telling everybody, no, 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 that's not how this works. But nobody's listening, and they're going out there with these devices and putting up what they got on it, which is going to naturally be built into creating false positives. They're putting that right. out there as evidence. So now everybody wants one of these SLS systems. Right. And we've got we've got two versions of it. We have the X Cam, and we also have the Connect. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, I'm still working on debunking that piece of equipment because I I think a lot of the anomalies that these cameras are detecting has a lot to do with camera angle because you you move the camera just a bit and the and the anomaly disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, however, last night um, we did have. Uh, down in the basement, Chris and another investigator and I, we did have an anomaly actually move across the ceiling, and I was able to follow it with the camera. So whether that was, you know, whether that was legitimate evidence of paranormal activity, I don't know yet because I still haven't, I haven't figured out to my satisfaction how this works and how I can, you know, differentiate between what is um, a genuine anomaly detection, and what is camera malfunction or operator error? See, what, what the way that I look at it is is if it 
and for those who are unfamiliar, the SLS system is the one that creates the stick figure on the screen. You've, you've seen some of these videos. We have some up on SpookySouthCoast.com and on our YouTube channel, But and uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good story. And when when you just see a stick figure show up on the screen, that's not enough for me. Right. I, I see it as, you know, that could be anything. That could be, you know, they, they just pop up from time to time. Sometimes you'll get half a stick figure. Sometimes you'll get an arm that appears out of nowhere. And it doesn't mean that there's a floating arm in the middle of the room. So I don't really right. put that much stock in that, that kind of stuff. It's when the figures show up and they're completely and totally interactive with the environment. Exactly. Or the and people that are there. we had a case like that a couple of weeks ago where we had an anomaly detected on the camera one of our investigators walked over to it, held out his hand, and the the stick figure on the camera reached out and was shaking his hand. See, that's the cool stuff right there. We we were at the uh, now we weren't that far from where you guys were last night. We were at the Murdoch Whitney House in Winchenden, which is just literally a stone's throw from the S.K. Pierce Mansion, and we had the SLS system running. One of the investigators, Crystal, had brought her her version of it, and she had it in the room where there was a piano. And we saw this figure that was playing an instrument and tapping its foot in time. And so we had somebody sit and play the piano. And the stick figure would play alongside with the the person playing the piano. If that person sped up, the stick figure would speed up. And if he was playing a single note at a time, the stick figure would play a single note at the time. And the stick figure rotated through three different instruments. You could see him you know, playing a violin. You could see him uh, playing a trombone. And you could see him playing like a stand-up bass or a cello. And each time you would see the hands moving the cords while the other finger was doing the, the picking or, you know, and, and it was it was just amazing to see this. But that was only the start of the night when it came to the SLS system. After that, I, I kind of put this gently because we're actually on the radio, but there was a, a clawfoot bathtub in the basement. And uh, when we pointed the SLS camera <laughs> at the bathtub, there was the stick figure of a what looked like a person lounging in the tub. So that that gets my attention automatically because it fits what's there. It's not just half a stick figure appearing out of nowhere. It looks like somebody laying down. And uh, as did we were, did you excuse yourself and apologize and leave the room, or did you stay and watch? Well, no, we should have probably done that because what ended up happening is uh, the 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 left hand of the stick figure started wandering down to. Um, oh dear. To the yeah, and he started um, kind of making the yeah, um, <laughs> and it went up and down exactly the amount of distance that oh, it would. So this went on for a good ten minutes. We we watched a ghost masturbate, and we put it up on our YouTube channel. You can see it on the Spooky South Coast YouTube channel. When you get a moment, watch that and tell me if you don't think that's exactly what you're seeing. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm going to check that out after the show. Both both of those videos Fun. are up there too, so you can check those out uh, and see see the uh, the music the musician ghost and the masturbating ghost. So, I can't be sure that it was the same spirit, but uh, if it was, you know, he's very good with his hands either way. <laughs> I really like that bathtub. <laughs> you know, it's it's nice too. I I was looking at it saying I'd like to have a have that bathtub if they're not going to do anything with it. I'd like to put that in my house, but I don't think I want it anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know what's been in it. <laughs> well, the worst part is I think I do know. Yeah, uh, you have to check it for Ecto. Uh, in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, coming up, we were just about uh, up against the news break, but coming up in the next hour, we'll get more in-depth with with uh, some of these topics and, and some of these things that uh, that led you to the creation of the book. But you guys did say that the book just became available yesterday. Uh, Chris, where can people get the book if they want to pick it up? 
Uh, it's on Amazon.com. Uh, you can search for us on there, search our names, and um, you'll find it there, along with Clarissa's other books. And uh, Clarissa, of course, we've had you on in the past to talk about your books. What I mm-hmm. like about you is that you don't just you don't just write a book. You go out there and you collect all the information that you need. You know, your boots on the ground and getting all this stuff together to to put to put these books together. And it, it must have been easy. To, to come up with the case studies for this book because of all the examples that you must have seen over the time and over the course of your career. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got a, a really good friend who lives in Pawtucket, and you know he's always sending me photos. You know, he's a he's a semi pro photographer. He's he's always sending me photos. You know, I got this ghost. I got this ghost. And as Chris and I were working on this project, he sends me this picture. And, and it, it made it into the book. Actually, several of his photos made it into the book. Um, but, and I debunked it immediately. And the, the center window of this building, it looked like there was a white, misty, you know, figure in the center of this window. But what he didn't take into account was there was a window on a wall around the corner from where he was standing. And the light was coming in through that window. And so the reflection of that light was what was creating that white um, sort of oblong, you know, kind of misty shape in the window. I debunked it right away. But the point that we made in the book when we, and of course we published it with his permission, uh, was that, you know, he would much rather have us debunk it than him post it on social media or on a website somewhere going, you know, I caught this ghost and then just have it ripped to shreds. Oh man, do I wish everybody was like your friend. <laughs> it, first of all, it would save me a lot of blocking of people <laughs> on right? social media and being blocked. Yes, getting blocked yeah. myself many times, I'm sure. But uh that's I mean, you can you can get into a political argument with people on yeah. Facebook uh and, and especially with, with today's political climate, you can get into the most heated argument and walk away and still be friends. But God forbid you tell them that their orb photo is not the spirit of their dead Aunt Millie. And uh, <laughs> you are just the worst person in the world. I think I think we yeah. need to we need to launch an investigation into Vladimir Putin's effect on the paranormal community, let alone the elections. <laughs> Duh. That's a that's the problem now is you say, Oh no, that's dust, that's moisture. Oh, and they come back and say that's fake news. Yeah. Now we we follow the Chris and I both follow the acronym you know, the orbs stands for ordinary random bits of stuff. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. So we'll talk more about that coming up uh, in the next hour with Chris and Clarissa. If you want to check out their book again, you can go to Amazon.com. The name of the book is Debunking Common Paranormal Myths, Exploring Psychosomatic Pareidolia. And we will get into psychosomatic pareidolia. We'll talk about some examples of it. We'll talk about how, you know, you might have been encountering it in your own paranormal investigations as well. And, uh, and of course, if you want to call in with any questions for our guests, 508 508- Nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. The phone lines will be open throughout the show if you would like to speak with them, and uh, and of course if you have any examples of your own or maybe maybe some questions on what it's all about, you can call in at any point during the show with those questions, or you can share them in the chat room at Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com or on the Spooky South Coast YouTube channel. Just want to let everybody know real quickly uh, that we do have some stuff coming up. 
Of course, uh, Stephanie is not in the studio tonight. She's at the Michigan Paracon. But her and I will both be at the Plymouth Paracon coming up in September, September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. You can get your tickets now for the Plymouth Paracon. Get them before they're gone. Just go to PlymouthParacon.com. They're running some specials, so you don't want to wait. Of course, we mentioned Most Haunted Towns. Uh, Doogie and Porter will be there. Uh, Sam Baltrusis is putting on this event. He'll be there. Uh, John Zaffis is going to be there, the, the cast of Haunt Me. There's a huge lineup of people that will be in Plymouth September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. So get your tickets now to come and hang out with us there. And, of course, Spooky South Coast has some events coming up in October and November. We'll be in North Andover at the Parson Bartered House. We will be in uh, Edaville and Carver at Edaville Family Theme Park, and we will also be at the Bull Mansion in Worcester. First time anybody has ever investigated there. If you want to take part in any of those events, you can check out SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the event page, and you can get tickets to all of those events there. Get them while they last. So we're going to take a break right now for the news because we're actually on the radio tonight. Instead of the you know the Red Sox got over early. So we'll take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, more with Clarissa Vasquez and Chris Carr talking about psychosomatic pareidolia. Stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast. Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We'll be right back into our discussion with our guests, uh, Clarissa Vasquez and Chris Carr, coming up in just a second. But before we do that, I just want to let everybody know that uh, we're coming up on the end of the month here, which means that if you have your Parabox monthly subscription already ordered, they'll be shipping out your September order. In just about a week's time, you'll get your new shirt, you'll get your new delivery, and you'll get your new puzzle to try to figure out. And if you haven't seen the shirts at Parabox Monthly, well, let me tell you, it is the Parabox shirts are some of the softest, some of the most comfortable shirts that you can buy, but they also have great paranormal designs with different themes, everything from ghosts and hauntings to aliens to cryptids to... Amityville to Art Bell, they have all these different themes to the T-shirts, but each design also has a mystery as part of it, a puzzle that you have to figure out. And they give you a card with information about what's on your shirt, as well as how to get you closer to solving that mystery. So if you haven't checked out Parabox, I highly recommend going to their website, paraboxmonthly.com. Signing up, you can get a one-month subscription, a three-month subscription, a six-month subscription that you can cancel at any time. There's no there's no contract involved. You can get your first delivery, and you can say, you know what? I think I want to wait a few months before I get my next one, and you can do that. It's all up to you. However you want to get your Parabox T-shirts delivered to you, just go to ParaboxMonthly.com to do so and enter the promo code SPOOKYLIVE, and you'll get 10% off your order. And I had mentioned before the break the... 
Plymouth Paracon coming up in just a few weeks, September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Well, Parabox is going to be at the Plymouth Paracon. So I don't know if they're going to have some of their shirts for sale. I'm going to reach out to them and find out exactly what they're doing, if they're just promoting the product or if they're planning on actually having some of those shirts out there for sale. I'm hoping they have some of the ones that they've sent out already that people may have missed out on because I want some. I'm going to bring a bunch of money with me because those, there's some Parabox designs that I've seen that I want. So I'm going to go down there and I'm going to basically blow every extra cent I have on some of the most comfortable T-shirts that you can get. And maybe if I get all of them, I can finally figure out a puzzle. Yeah. Here we go. What about our T-shirts? Uh, we don't have those yet. Let's not talk about things that don't exist yet. <laughs> okay. That's that's just asking for trouble. Did I hit the wrong one? No, you're on four. You're on, oh, it's because four is not in program. That's cause, fine. Because the people that work at the station during the week just press uh, buttons randomly. I just I was just going to mention that um, you uh, uh, your testimonial uh, ended up on their website. I saw that. I went you're to the like website on front the other page. day. I was like, wait. You're a celebrity. I said better things than that about Parabox. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the fact that my endorsement apparently carries some weight. I mean, they're like, it does carry some weight. We had to send you a 4X. That's, <laughs> that just shows that we have sizes for everybody. But uh, again, ParaboxMonthly.com. Use the promo code SpookyLive, save 10%, and you will be very happy with your shirts, I promise. And, uh, and and let me know. You know, send us a picture of you in your Parabox shirt. Just tweet it to us at SpookySC. Uh, send it to us on Instagram. Email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Let us see you in your Parabox shirt because uh, maybe I can, you know, say, hey, I missed out on that one. Hey, I missed out on that one and see if they have them at the Plymouth Paracon. All right, let's get back into the discussion tonight with our guests, Clarissa Vasquez and Chris Carr. They have a new book out that they have co-authored together called Debunking Common Paranormal Myths, Exploring Psychosomatic Pareidolia. And this is something that is much, much needed uh, in the paranormal world. They, we need to start looking at some of these instances of what happened, uh, what happens when we're out on an investigation and going through our uh, evidence that we've collected and realizing that not everything is always as it seems. Uh, Clarissa, when you say uh, psychosomatic pareidolia, Kind of describe that, break that down for everybody so that they get a better understanding of, of, of what that fancy term really means. <laughs> well, and we actually put the dictionary definitions in the book, but essentially what it breaks down to is you are subject to seeing, hearing, feeling, experiencing things based on your circumstances and your surroundings. Your circumstances and surroundings um, already leave you susceptible to what you could be experiencing and when your brain receives um, incomplete data or not enough data, it tries to make a rational conclusion out of what little it gets. Um, Case in point, if you look up in the sky and you see a bunny rabbit in the clouds or Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've all seen the the photo that has circulated around the internet um, of the bird flying and, and the caption says, I don't care what you say, you know, I'm it's a rabbit on skis. Um, that's, that is textbook pareidolia. And so psychosomatic is when you are seeing and experiencing, um, when your brain is making rational conclusions out of incomplete data based on your circumstances and surroundings. So if you're in a purported haunted location and, you know, all of a sudden you start 
hearing things and, you know, seeing shadows and, and, you know, random smells or what have you. It may not necessarily be paranormal in nature. It could be your brain trying to make rational conclusions out of incomplete data. But Chris, that is a, a, a valid point that when people are walking into some of these locations, they're already walking into it with, uh, with a predetermined mindset toward it. They're already walking in there with some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of a bias toward it being haunted just because they've either been called into it to investigate it or they've heard stories about it being haunted or they're going to a place where there's been a long history of activity. So you are going in there with some sort of a, an already preconceived notion about what you expect to encounter. Think, it oh, itself is, you know, how your brain puts together, you know, seeing faces and things through evolution. You know, so if you walk into a, a place with expectations, I mean, you're, you're going to be, you're basically conditioned to, to start seeing things that maybe aren't there. And it, that's the, the, the danger of doing this is that you are of such a, you know, your senses are so heightened when you're on an investigation and you want them to be. I mean, that's the proper way to investigate is to be paying attention. But you are so much uh, on edge about things that go on that you do have a tendency to, uh, just have that first, you know, normally your first reaction to something is that, at least this is in my case, your first reaction is that something is happening. And then you'll realize, oh, no, wait, there's a rational explanation for that. I don't know about you, Clarissa. I never have the, you know, in the excitement of the moment, it's never the first rational, it's never the, expl- the rational explanation is never the first thought. The first thought is always ghost. And then immediately right after that, I say, well, wait a minute, probably not. What else could it be? But ghost is always just that first inclination for that split second right at the beginning. Right. You know, the first instinct is to go, what was that? Mm-hmm. You know, and and then you start analyzing and looking at it and, and trying to decide, okay, is it something paranormal in nature or is it something naturally occurring or is it my imagination? And, you know, which all three could be applicable depending on, you know, what you feel like you experienced and what your circumstances and surroundings are. And I think, Chris, that you have to have some with each. You know, you have to have some experience where sometimes it is something paranormal, but you have to have some experiences where sometimes it's not because you have to have that balance and you have to have that experience in being able to figure out and to debunk things so that you don't wind up thinking that everything that you encounter is paranormal. Yeah, you need to think rationally. I mean, the phrase get a grip kind of comes to mind talking about this, you know, um, I'm sure we've all seen people just kind of overreact to to shadows that they thought they saw or or whatnot. You're on an investigation, and you know all of a sudden somebody's hollering about something, and it is that heightened sense that, that you mentioned because it is very exciting. Um, I, I think you you have to think a little rationally. And I'm just looking over some of the chapter titles for the book, and uh, and and I'm fascinated by you know how. How the, the conversations must have been in determining these uh, chapter titles because they're they're very creative, very inventive, and they give you just a little bit of an idea of what the chapter may be about. But some of them have me scratching my head, saying, "Huh?" And <laughs> Clarissa, I got to say that about chapter two is the big fish on the line. I lost fifty pounds on the paranormal diet. Is Santa Claus coming to town? <laughs> what is that all about, Clarissa? <laughs> uh, in, in chapter two, we gave non-paranormal examples of um, psychosomatic pareidolia. Um, And, you know, we we broke it down into three different scenarios, you know, one of them being a fishing scenario, one being a weight loss scenario, and one being 
uh, a scenario of, you know, a little kid on Christmas morning, uh, you know, and having, you know, the, the child swears that they heard Santa last night. Um, and, you know, and so, you know, what could have been a tree branch, you know, uh, you know, rubbing against the side of the house, you know, in that child's mind because it's Christmas time and you've been listening to Christmas music since Labor Day, um, you know, so the, the child oh, you know my mom? has that pre-programmed <laughs> into their head, you know, so, oh my gosh, it's Santa. You know, a sound that they wouldn't have previously paid attention to, um, all of a sudden becomes Santa. So. I, I, I never even thought about that. I never thought about kind of pareidolia explanations to uh, things that we've encountered kind of outside of of research. But no, you're right. And 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 somebody was making the the joke about it in the chat room. But you know, Jesus on a piece of toast. Chris, I'm sure that you've covered some ex- some examples of that in the uh, in the book, especially where now you know everybody sees something in in their food on eBay, uh, puts it up on eBay, and you know all of a sudden a, a burnt pop tart is being sold for a thousand dollars. Sure, I, I think Jesus Toast actually made it into the book. Nice. <laughs> so, it did. There's actually toasters now that will burn the face of Jesus into your toast. Yeah, there are toasters that will burn your own face. I, I think you can put the uh, picture or download it to the toaster and, and get yourself imprinted on your own toast. Man. That's what I want for Christmas. You want a smart toaster? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just wonder if, like, Jesus is, is sitting somewhere eating toast and being like, this doesn't look anything <laughs> like me. What is wrong with you people? I come back and this is what you All do. that wine, you might be a little toasted. I don't no. know. <laughs> that, all of a sudden, Jesus, the Jesus we had on the show is going to start calling us up and being like, stop talking about me. <laughs> that, by the way, it wasn't the real Jesus. I Spoiler alert for anybody that's listening. It wasn't the real Jesus. I don't even think it's that... Jesus. Yeah, he's he's he doesn't even deserve to call himself Jesus. But anyway, in in looking at some of the topics that you cover, though, I mean, we're talking about pretty much running the gamut of paranormal activity, orbs, mm-hmm. apparitions, shadow people, portals. These are all covered in the book. It it seems like there's a lot of cause for false positives in every aspect of what it is that we do, Clarissa. Absolutely, and in all honesty, Tim, no investigator is immune to it. You know, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and, you know, even I have to question sometimes, you know, did I just experience that, or am I, to to coin the popular TAPS phrase, am I matrixing? Um, You know, and, you know, you really have to, you, you have to break it down and analyze it and, you know, try to decipher, you know, between what is real and what is in your head. It's amazing, Chris, that there's things that people don't believe in that, you know, you could say to them on an investigation, you know, have you ever experienced a a shadow person? And they say, oh, no, I don't really believe in shadow people. But then they'll be right there when something's happening and and they'll be drawn into it. Uh, It's it's almost like you can have a, a full amount of disbelief in what you're seeing right in front of your eyes. So if you can't fully buy into what is slapping you in the face, I can kind of understand why you could also uh, be easily conned into thinking, you know, maybe conned is a, a rough word, but I can see how you could be uh, easily duped into thinking that something is what it isn't. Right. Well, you know, I think that um, we're conditioned to, to see what we want to see. So I, getting control of that, is going to help you actually present real evidence. And, and again, you know, I think a lot of the point of the book too is presenting better stuff, I think helps, helps everyone. 
I mean, that's the ultimate um, goal. Is if to- you go on YouTube and you, you're, you know, you're searching for ghost hunting, a term you don't love, but you're going to get so much, um, stuff that, that clearly isn't real. I just think it turns people off and hurts the cause, if you will. That's, that's what you really want to have. You I mean, you want to put out the stuff that's going to make people say, if you feel the need to share your evidence with the world, you're going to want to put out the stuff that makes people say, wow, that makes me second guess what I thought, or wow, that's something that I never would have thought possible. You don't want to put something out where people have to say, well, can you explain it to me? Can you show me what it is that I'm looking at? Can you tell me what I'm supposed to be hearing? Because that's not any kind of overwhelming evidence. That's just people saying, uh, you know, man, this is, this is kind of a crazy hobby that you have. So if you can put out better quality stuff and, and not put out stuff that isn't of the best quality, it eliminates people being able to uh, kind of swipe at it is what you're doing. Clarissa, I'm sure you've dealt with that over the years where people will tell you that, you know, why do you waste your time doing that stuff, Clarissa? That stuff's not real. And then you show them something and it's it's still not enough to convince them. Well, you know, Tim, there's, there are always going to be naysayers. I mean, there are still people who are convinced the Earth is flat and that we never walked on the moon and there are some that say Elvis is still alive. Um you know, despite the evidence to the contrary. Um, but with more um, quality evidence, I think as far as, you know, the paranormal research and, and, and that by raising the bar on the quality of evidence that is presented to the world and to our peers and I think then that we will gain more credibility. Um, the naysayers, you know, may may uh, slow down a little bit, but they're always going to be there. I mean, uh, and I'm sure the same with you, Kristen, in your career, that uh, there's been times when you've wanted to, to say to somebody, hey, it might actually be better if you didn't put that up on your social media because all it's going to do is it's going to incite people into taking a crack at you for for putting up something that is kind of ridiculous. I've seen photos myself of of people putting up things where they say, hey, look, you know, here is, uh, you know, They'll like circle in on the background of the woods and like, look at, can't you see that man standing there with a with a knife in his hand? And it's it's very obvious that it's you know just somebody trying to make something out of nothing. Uh, Chris, do you offer your opinion to people when you see that kind of stuff and say maybe you'd be better off uh, not showing that to the world? Well, yeah, sure I do, and I I think everybody has been guilty of, of what we're kind of debunking here in the book and what we're repressing because when you first start out again you you want to get something back for your time your your energy and money you know um you get very excited over over simple things that are you know easy to debunk um and we're just trying to help along that step and skip it really i mean it's it's okay to get excited about it it's okay to put out something and say Hey guys, I think I caught something here. What do you all think it is? I, I welcome those opportunities to give feedback and to, to have a intelligent discourse about what it is that may or may not be in a photo or, or a piece of video. I like that approach. I don't like when somebody's telling me what it is that I'm supposed to be seeing and then when I tell them that I think that, you know, they could be mistaken, all of a sudden I'm the bully. Uh, Clarissa. Yeah, we, you're a jerk. You're, you know, you're, you're right. a big jerk for Clarissa, pointing out that that you, wasn't you, anything. You and I have been discussing going all the way back to the days of when people were trying to, 
to get on the power unity train when we were talking mm-hmm. about people working together and respecting each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just seems like, you know, probably 10 years later since the first time that we talked to you, we're no closer to that. No. And nor well, do we you know, need to people be. People can go and preach power unity until they're blue in the face, but you know, it, it's uh, un- unfortunately, it's my, it's my belief, it's my opinion, it's not going to happen. And this is one of those divisive things is when they share this stuff out there. You know, I remember years ago when we started, the the big deal was that people were worried about folks stealing their their photographs and stealing their video and putting it up on their own, you know, MySpace pages and trying to act like it was something that they caught themselves. Now it's more like people want to break down what it is that you're putting up there. And the, that's the that's the point of it. That's why you're supposed to be sharing it. So that they explain this all to you and so that you learn. I used to run a, a Facebook group with Dave Francis where we would we would have people submit their photographs to us and we would talk it out with them and, and, and analyze them and, and offer them some insight in at least what we had learned. And we got a bunch of like noted experts to join this page. We had Rosemary Ellen Guiley on this page and John Zaffis on this page, people who had an experience, a lot of experience doing this, that you would be showing them your photograph and they would say, okay, I think that maybe this is actually the reflection of the flash from the camera bouncing off that piece of metal in the back. And you explain all this stuff to them. And then you can even you know, put the image in negative and show them all this stuff. And it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're a big bully and you're just jealous of what they caught. Well, and with me personally, Tim, you know, if if I have something that I believe is credible, you know, I send it to other people. You know, be like, please, pick this apart. Please, you know, if, if you can pick it apart, great, because I can't. I, I've sent Chris, I don't know how many files, you know, audio files and, and stuff like that going, you know, take a listen to this. Tell me what you think. Um, and, you know, some of my other peers... You know, I will send them photos, videos, you know, audio clips going, you know, can you pick this apart? Because I personally, I don't want to put something out there for the world to see if it's, you know, if it's not legitimate. Absolutely. And, and Moniz, we've, we've dealt with this to ourselves where, you know, even just using the term evidence is. I don't use you, evidence. And I'm all, I'm out. I'm sorry. Let me slow down a second. I'm only using it in the sense of. The, being the terminology that people use for it, I also agree with you that it's it's not evidence because we don't know that it's firmly proving anything. Right. Oh, if you're, uh, and I get aggravated when I hear people talking. We're using a scientific method. Well, if you're using a scientific method, you wouldn't be using the term evidence. You'd be using the term data. Data right. defines things forward or left or right. It, it it's a point of reference. It's not a. It, Evidence is used in courts, and evidence right. is used as definitive proof, uh, like, right? In, in a in a in a system of courts, if you're looking at things in terms of scientific uh, documentation, it's data. Data just helps confirm or dispel a hypothesis. And let me ask you, as a scientist, Moniz, isn't it true that sometimes that data can be? False, mistaken, accidental. Uh, Right. Sometimes it's flawed. Misinterpreted. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It happens all the time. And there's a big difference between being able to say, uh, I think this data that I I caught might be flawed, might be misinterpreted, as opposed to saying this evidence that I have is junk. 
you know, but because people put so much stock in that term, they're they're hurting themselves. Uh, Chris, what do you what do you prefer? Like, do you do you actually call things that you that you capture evidence? No data. Go with data. Yes, that's and Clarissa, I'm sure you're the same way. Absolutely, yeah, and that's it, some people on my team have referred to you know the post investigation review. You know they they call it evidence review, and it's like no, it is data analysis. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, and, and you yeah. know, you know what happens when we get Chris Balzano started on the uh, the idea of the reveal. So we won't you know, even go I'm down that path. I'm surprised Balzano hasn't called in yet tonight. He and I haven't gone head to head for a while. I think it's because I kept him up so late the other night. <laughs> we, uh, I had him uh, pinch hit on midnight in the desert. He was planning for a Friday night appearance, and we needed him on an emergency basis on Thursday. And uh, and I think that uh, it kind of threw off his whole schedule. So. Uh. That's to be expected, though. You know, when sleep deprivation is normal in this field. Yeah, right. If, if you if you need to sleep, you're in the wrong field because sleep is when yeah. the ghosts come out. I, I pulled an all nighter last night, and drove to Gettysburg, and I'm still on. I'm still awake and on the phone with you guys. Well, what's amazing about that is you guys were in a place that is notorious for for draining the energy of people. Yeah. Uh, so you know, not only are you just experiencing the paranormal hangover of having investigated but the sk pierce mansion is no joke in the effects that it can have on people so mm-hmm. oh i mean i know that uh, i know that clarissa i know the way you investigate and chris if you work with her i'm sure you're much the same way you know that you're you're taking precautions and you're you're not really opening yourselves up to attack but that is a place i don't use that term frequently because i think it's over it's it, I think that a lot of people just pretend or or think that they're being attacked when they're not. They just want to be like Zach. But the SK Pierce is a place that will attack you. It's attacked people that I know personally, and it, it has had a lingering effect on people. Well, we had a colleague last night, um, and, and this is someone that I've worked with for several years now, and, and I've got a lot of respect for him, um, just suddenly and mysteriously um, fall down the stairs last night and actually put a hole in the wall uh, when he fell. Um, and he injured himself really badly. And, you know, we're asking him, you know, were you pushed? Were you tripped? What what happened? He goes, I don't know. You know, one minute I was standing and the next minute I was on the ground. And what's, what's good about the S.K. Pierce Mansion now is with all the improvements that they've made, it's in much better shape than it was. I mean, you could fall in that place a couple of years ago and, and do some serious damage to yourself. At least now there isn't a bunch of stuff laying at the bottom of the stairs or or a missing step or a wobbly guardrail or any of those kind of things. The in the basement yeah, it was it was just it was really bizarre. The you basement know, one minute used, he's standing and the next minute he's on the landing. The basement used to be one of the strangest and weirdest and scariest places I've ever been as an investigator, but since they took the you know the the shutters off the windows and kind of opened up a little bit more, it has less of an oppressive feeling. But oh my god, it was terrifying a few years ago. It's definitely still creepy. <laughs> have they uh, sure. have they opened up the tunnel yet? Because I know that that was part of the plans that they wanted to do. No, no, we didn't. no it, yeah, there, we've no heard tunnel. the stories of the tunnel, but. Uh, no, it's not open yet. So I'll throw you a quick tunnel story. Uh, when we were there last, uh, when I was there last, I was with Porter from Haunted Towns, and I was with Stephanie and John Brightman, and we were supposed to have an event there, but it got moved because the town wasn't letting them do the event, and so we had moved it to Winchenden. But we stopped in just to see Marion and to show the house to Porter because he had come up all the way from Tennessee, and we wanted him to have the chance to see it. And she's telling us in the basement about how they're planning on opening up that tunnel, and that they're going to be breaking down all those bricks. 
So Porter and I, being the just the the guys that we are, we said, "Well, can we knock some of those bricks down now?" Just because we wanted to like take a sledgehammer to a wall because it sounded fun. And right. Marion said, "Sure, you can try and knock some of the bricks out." So we, you know, we're just kind of pounding them with our fists and loosening up the bricks. And uh, and I asked if I could take one as as a memento of the S.K. Pierce Mansion. And Marion said, "Sure, yeah, if you want to take the brick, go ahead. We're just going to have to throw it away." So I took a little small piece of that brick and I gave it to my friend Nate. Because Nate was really excited to go to the S.K. Pierce Mansion and was bummed out that we couldn't go. So I gave him that little piece of the brick. He brought it home. He put it in his bedroom. And the amount of time that he had that piece of brick in his room, he would wake up to being scratched. He would hear all these mysterious sounds. Uh, he was being physically accosted by something that he couldn't see. And when he finally made put two and two together that it was maybe that brick that was causing these problems, he took it out of his room. It stopped. You could call that the Pele effect. Well, I was going to say, that could also be somewhat of a psychosomatic thing as well, though, because, you know, if somebody gave you this and told you, hey, this is from this haunted location, and it could have something attached to it, but it it wasn't the first thought in his head. Well, the, what I'm referring to as the Pele effect, it has to do with the sand and the rocks taken from Hawaii. People wind up having all kinds of bad luck because they hear the legend of it. And then they wind up mailing the sand or the rock back to the post office in See, Hawaii. When, when you said Pele effect, I just ignored you because I don't know anything about soccer. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, but that, that that is a true that is a true thing. I mean, if somebody if somebody gave you something and told you that it was cursed, you're going to think about that curse, and then you're, it's it's going to become cursed to you. Uh, I'm sure that Chris, you've had to deal with that in your career as an investigator, where you know the the reputation precedes something, and it has that that negative stain on it because of that connotation. When, in all actuality, you're not giving it a fair chance. Well, sure. Uh, I think you know this is outside uh, paranormal stuff, but if you look in things like uh, witchcraft and and whatnot, and uh, there's a lot of um, banter about telling somebody they're cursed, and then they will actually feel cursed because it works on their mind, you know, even though there's no actual interaction. I mean, Clarissa, isn't that kind of how all these all these things started? It wasn't an actual curse that people would place on you, but they would say, you know, a hex on you or whatever, and that would just get into your mind so that you would think that you were under some sort of negative influence. It's not like there were these mystical powers that people were using 200 years ago on other people. They were just using that power of suggestion to make people kind of freak out a bit. Exactly, and that's the power of suggestion is very, very powerful. So, and we were talking a little bit before you guys joined us about being on an investigation and, uh, you know, trying to avoid, you know, if one person sees a shadow and points it out to everybody else, then the expectation is for everybody else in the room to have to see that shadow and to the point where I've, I've been having these occurrences lately where I've been in the basements of different haunted places. I shut off all the lights. I have everybody kill all their head, uh, all their uh, flashlights and all their cell phones and all their devices, and we just sit in total darkness. And then we watch as these shadows come out. And when we see them, it just takes a couple of people saying, oh, I see it, I see it, I see it. And then everybody else starts to hone in and see it. And there's sometimes there's a couple of people in the group that say, I can't see anything. I don't know what it is that you guys are seeing. Uh, Clarissa, do you think that we're actually seeing something, or do you think it's probably that power of suggestion kind of going through the group mindset? 
you know, it could be six of one, half a dozen of of the other. People, you know, some people may genuinely see something or believe they see something, um, and, you know, others may not see it, but they're like, okay, could be something there. You know, and then you have those that fall into a, a third category where they don't see it, but because the rest of the people in the room see it, they're going to say they saw it. Hmm. And, and and I think that that's happened uh, on, on many occasions. Chris, I'm sure you've had that happen too, where, you know, it just takes one person seeing something and then everybody else wants to see it. Or if somebody has something happen during an investigation, everybody else wants to run to the room and have the same thing happen to them. Well, that key word is want. You know, they want to see it. Yeah, and that's that's where the danger comes in because you're going into it then with a, a preconceived notion. Exactly. Like the leg lifting up in the third floor of Lizzie's? You know, that's something that the the more and more time goes on, that bothers me more than anything, is the fact that it, it at one point I was comforted by the fact that how many people had had the same experience that I did. Having my legs lifted off the side of the bed at the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast by a pair of hands that I couldn't see, and having it happen to multiple people again and again and again. Every time we go there, it happens to somebody. It happens to people when we're not there. Yeah. You know, the fact that it's become this phenomena, it used to be comforting to let me know, hey, you know, you weren't imagining it. It does happen to other people. But now I start to wonder how many of those people are actually legitimately having this experience or just wanting to have that experience. Well, I've been there with you on countless occasions watching it happen. I've not had it happen to me, but I've had it happen right in front of me, though, with other people. So it's like, I can't say it doesn't happen. Is it? But something it's, you know and it's paranormal people, it's people that you think would not be susceptible to the power of suggestion well, yeah several of them have been devout you know skeptics i mean isn't that the danger clarissa is that uh you know that these this this the suggestion this power of suggestion can happen to somebody who even thinks that they're immune to that possibility yeah absolutely and that's where the psychosomatic aspect of this phenomena plays into effect yeah, because you already have that power of suggestion, you already have that seed planted in your brain. And so whether this is a conscious or a subconscious phenomenon, it can still happen. And I think that that is the, the problem with, you know, everybody going to these same places for investigations and, and going again and again and again is that you are already going in there with what you want to have happen in your mind. Even if you try to think that you're going into it as a clean slate, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking about all these other experiences that people have had and saying, you know, it would be really nice if that happened to me. It's, it's, it's almost like, Chris, it's better to be the first person into a, into a place to investigate and to have no idea of what to expect. But going in blind is, is a pretty good thing. In fact, Clarissa did that last night. She did not want to know the history of it. You know, um, I, I looked up the history and, and had that. So, like, we had sort of a combined experience with it. So, Clarissa, you didn't know anything about the S.K. Pierce mansion at all? I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to go in blind. Well, did anything happen on the third floor in the... Uh, did they did they tell you about the closet on the third floor? They don't always talk about it. Well, okay. The, the closet on the third floor, we actually had an interesting experience there last night. Um, and, again, the team that I was working with was myself, Chris, and one other investigator. And the other investigator that we were with, she says... Clarissa, and I was holding the SLS, you know, again, I'm still trying to, you know, figure out what makes it tick and how to properly use it, if it's even applicable. Um, 
she says, this closet, she goes, can you, can you bring it over here to this closet and point it, you know, up higher? And so, you know, I did, you know, thinking I wasn't going to get anything. And lo and behold, there was a stick figure up there. Hmm. I'm like, oh, interesting. And it was, it, it wasn't like it was a psychic pre- premonition or anything. It was just her gut instinct wondering if there could be something in there. Because there's the. You seem to have a, an intuitive experience with it, which, you know, it, that's a hard thing to prove, right? But I think we all kind of do that. Right. right. You can't prove the paranormal with something that is paranormal. Exactly. Or something that is, you know, maybe even uh, that intuition or gut feeling isn't really paranormal, but just something that is, you know, that goes beyond our laws of physics. So you're right. not going to be able to, to prove it. it. It's, it's emotional. It's, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's just something that goes beyond what we can measure. Right. Something or physics as we know it. Sense. You know, we, we don't know the yeah. flow powers of our minds yet. I don't believe, you know. Well, I think I've hit capacity, but that's, that's just my own problem. <laughs> the, uh, but the funny thing about the closet, is, Clarissa, is, you know, they, they have the closet off the side of the billiards room that they call the rape closet. Where supposedly that's where the the women were brought in while the men played billiards and they were raped in the closet. And speaking of the SLS system, uh, a friend of ours, Mike, caught on his SLS system in that closet. It looks like one figure trying to climb all over the other figure while that first figure is fighting it off. And it oh, went wow. it went on for a number of minutes, probably a good three or four minutes. If you're looking on YouTube, type in SK Pierce Rape Closet SLS, you'll you'll see the video. It's pretty it's pretty disturbing because when you look at it you say, you know, maybe it's the story putting that power of suggestion in my mind, but that's what it looks like to me. And so that's why I find it I interesting. Hear that story. Oh, I think sorry, it's sorry. I, I did hear that story. Our, our host we had uh two caretakers with us, the other uh gentleman, his name's Josh. He did tell me that story ahead of time about the rape closet. But does that? I mean, you're going into the into the into the investigation knowing that story. We knew that story. That's the whole reason why Mike brought his SLS camera in there and pointed it in that room. So by doing that, you know, are we automatically tainting the investigation by having that story and looking for things that will kind of uh, kind of back up that story? Or is it because you already knew that story, then that's what you were interpreting the anomalies detected on the S- on the SLS to be doing? Right. I mean, it's 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 kind of a catch twenty two. It could also be too that because you are aware of that story, that maybe whatever is out there is reaching out to you because you understand its plight. You know what's going on. So, Alpha. yeah, that well. It could be that too. It could just be that you're you're projecting that thought out there. I think we do have a, a question on the phone lines for you guys. And if anybody wants to call in, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Clarissa and Chris. How are you? Hi. Hi. Do you uh, do you have a question? No. You know what? I was when you were talking about perceptions. I was going to tell you a story. Um, I'm retired now, but I was a registered nurse. I worked in the emergency room, and we had to take all these advanced classes and all this stuff. And one time we took this class, like for advanced cardiac life support, and one of the paramedics were given it. And as part of the class, I mean, we had to learn about all these drugs and do all these things. But anyway, he showed this little video, and he's telling us, um, uh, how do you, uh, count the basketball player that is, uh, doing the red balls and half of you count the blue balls? 
okay? So now we're all count, trying to count these balls, and they're, of course, uh, passing them very fast. And there was only one nurse out of probably about 60 of us that just sat there and didn't even um, count any. And guess what? When the whole thing was done and he put the video back on, there was like a, a gorilla in the room passing the balls. Hmm. And none of us saw this because we were so intent on counting the balls. I actually remember that video. <laughs> no, I don't so laugh. He's like, I remember that. I was the gorilla. I'm telling you, this is a true story. No, that's, that's, no, that's, I'm not surprised at all. We should recreate that experiment. It, it was like amazing. And I'm, I'm like one of the, the video she's talking about is about 35 I'm trying years to count old. These count these. And when he replayed that video, I couldn't even believe it. I said, Joyce, you're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and there was only one nurse that said, I'm not going to count those things. And she's the only one that saw the gorilla in the first original playing of the film. And when wow. he played it back, and it was not a, a joke or any kind of thing, the gorilla was right there, hmm. passing the balls around. So that's how you get, you know, sometimes when you say about perception. Right. No, absolutely. It's kind of like what you want to see, I guess. I guess you could say <laughs> it's uh, to see. It's the gorilla in the room. That's... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it I certainly is, show. right? I mean, look at optical illusions. Right? I love your show. Well, thank you very much, uh, Joyce, for calling in. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good night. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, Chris, you were saying? Uh, optical illusions. I mean, the, the optical illusions that say, you know, go through our Facebook feed, <laughs> you know, do you see it, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it, it's, there's a lot to be said about that. And uh, you actually cover optical illusions in the book. It's it's one of the uh, topics that you cover, and 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 that's what a lot of uh, what happens uh, in investigating is sometimes you know you are just mistaking things for being something else. And I'm talking when you see something with your own eyes, you know, not when you're when you're experiencing pareidolia, looking back at something that was recorded or or filmed. I'm talking when you're just sitting there in the room in the dark and you know, anybody that spends enough time staring into the darkness knows that you're going to have some optical illusions that happen. You're going to have some uh, dark spots that pass in front of your eyes. You're going to have some problems with adjustment. And it, it must be hard when putting yourself in that situation to stay hypervigilant of what you are looking at being reality and what you're looking at being kind of a just a, a false identification. I can tell you that I, you know, I used to have this problem where I would tell people I, I can see spots all the time. Like if I'm looking around and I'm just staring like at, at a person, I can see spots kind of floating all around them. And I couldn't explain it and I didn't know what was happening. And of course I'm thinking like, am I developing some sort of weird ability or some sort of weird power? Or glaucoma. Well, and that's what ends up happening is when I go to the eye doctor, I realize, yeah, I needed, I just needed a pair of glasses. And once I got a pair of glasses, that stopped happening because I wasn't seeing, you know, dots around people. I was just having trouble focusing in and getting my, my eye muscles to focus. So I think that there is kind of that, yeah, that false perception from people that, you know, they, once their mind kind of uh, decides what it is they're seeing, that's what they're kind of zoned in on, even if it's not the case. 
Right. Well, think about that. Uh, it's a pretty classic picture, and I, I think we used it in a book where you look and there's a, a drawing. It's like a sketch, and, and if you look at it one way, it's an old lady. If you look at it another right. way, it's you know a, a young woman, and it, that that speaks to the power of the mind right there. You know, why do you see one and not the other, or you know, why do you have to think about it? Why don't you see both? Yeah, and, and Rorschach tests. You know, just everybody. Is is the fact that they can tell you what it means depending on what you see? You know that they've been able to kind of figure that out. I I always wonder what would ever happen if the same people that develop those tests would look into paranormal phenomena and tell us what it means when we see certain things. Like, what does it say about us as people? If you say, "What do you see in this picture?" And we're like, "Oh, that's a demon right there." I can see. Completely I can see, demented. Yeah, I can see the devil right there. And they would tell you you have mother issues. That's true. That's probably what it all boils down to. But we see that now, even, you know, like with these California fires that have been going on, you know, you see people sharing the photographs like, look, this is obviously Satan coming coming through this fire. And, and it's just an example of pareidolia. That's what it is. And But it doesn't matter. It just takes one person putting it out there and sharing it. And everybody's like, oh, my God, I see that, too. <laughs> A certain percentage of people, for sure. At, or it's just Russian bots sharing it anyway. That's also. I have family <laughs> members who send me pictures like that. That saying, you know, look, you know, somebody captured you know a picture of the devil, or you know, you know, and then I have to break it to my family member, going, no. <laughs> and you should know better than that to think that. Yeah, right. In uh, just the final, uh, you know, seven or eight minutes that we have of the show, I want to get into. What uh, will probably be my favorite chapter when I read the book, Chapter 11, Investigation Equipment, Science or Snake Oil. And I don't know, from everything I know about snake oil, it uh, it doesn't cost me $400 and then also cost me another $400 in AAA batteries. Or 9 volts, which is no. even worse. But, you know, snake oil could cost you a trip to the hospital, you know, depending. That's true. Um, or the morgue. No, I, uh, a lot of the equipment that's out there, um, and some of it is clearly labeled for entertainment purposes only, um, but it's it's a lot of buyer beware. Um, we really go into detail on the apps that are out there for phones and tablets um, and why those are not a good idea. Um, and some of the other equipment, you know, that is, you know, there's a lot of hype built around it, but you can very clearly and very easily see um, how it can lead to misinterpretation of what you're getting. It can it can lead you to believe that you are capturing evidence when in reality, you know, it's it's just random data that you know that you are interpreting to be fact. You know, and you um, you see the advertisement for them too. Like, you know, this is built solely for paranormal investigation, solely with paranormal investigation in mind. Well, what does that mean? You know, it's 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 one thing to say I have a Geiger counter because a Geiger counter is is built for a, a certain purpose, and so you know how to use it for that certain purpose. But there's no definition of what it is that we're supposed to be looking for. So how can you say that something is built definitively definitively to detect that? Right. right. I mean, well, what are the rules? Necessity you know, is the mother of it. Do ghosts actually put out EMF? I mean, it, it's it's a debatable thing. You know, it's just one of the markers that we we tend to see, right? As opposed to you know, it being some kind of fact. We, we don't actually know. Right, Clarissa, you were saying? I was saying necessity is the mother of invention. 
and uh, so, and it know, also we've been we've been using these tools that were designed for something else, and now some people are getting creative and going, okay, yeah, we're going, you know, let's develop this for this purpose. Um, but there are pieces of equipment out there, um, and I won't name it by name, but you know, for instance, the random word generators. Right. Yeah. No. That's it's. It, but it's not just a necessity being the mother of invention. It's. Uh, it's almost. Uh, I don't want to say envy, but it, it's. It, it, there's always that need to kind of take what somebody's done and then one up it. You right. know that people want to say, "Oh, well, you made this. Well, I, I think I know a way to make that, but make it just a little bit better, and that will yeah. make people want to abandon what you bought and buy what I made." Who can build a place for the market? You know, it helps to actually know what the thing does. I, I think a lot of people buy some of this equipment and really don't understand how it measures things. But right, you, you did mention some of the apps. I mean, other do you debunk all of the apps? Are there any that you think that are actually kind of? legitimate or 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 no, useful i don't i don't think any of them are um for the same reason that i don't feel that cell phones and tablets are um appropriate for uh quality evp sessions um cell phones and tablets were not designed to do what the apps claim they can do actually i mean i would disagree with that in terms of if like if you want to use your phone as a camera if you want to use your phone as a as an audio recorder, the what you have on your phone is more likely better than the, unless you buy professional equipment. But uh, you know it's probably more likely a better quality piece of equipment than you're using to do those things individually. The trick is you just have to make sure that you keep any type of stray signals from coming in, which is where exactly. people people don't bother to take that step. You know they still want to be able they want to be able to record something or go Facebook Live with something. And you don't realize that by adding that extra element into it, you're in, you're bringing in, uh, you know, your um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know what I mean? When you contaminate, that's the word. Okay. Tim. <laughs> Use your words, Tim. You can you're bringing contamination into things. So I think that they do have value in in terms of using them as data collectors. You just have to use them responsibly. Right. But they they do not have the ability to detect EVP. They do not have the you know the ability to um, or I'm sorry EMF. Forgive me, I'm exhausted. No, I understand. Um, they don't have the ability to detect EMF. You know, they don't have the ability to detect temperature fluctuations. You know, unless you can somehow you know apply a thermistor you know to your cell phone or your tablet. I don't know that that technology exists. Uh, but, you know, so apps like Ghost Radar, you know, that have this, you know, this, you know, sweeping scan, you know, and and everything. I, you know, on top of the fact, and, you know, Balzano and I discussed this on your show, actually, a few years ago. Um, you know, if if the apps out there were worth what they're what they're claiming to be capable of doing, they wouldn't be free or 99 cents. Right. Which is, you know, I, I put some stock in EchoVox because I've had a lot of great success with EchoVox. And, and I've had some, some very interesting communication. I've had, I've had it say things that it, it couldn't possibly know. And I've gone through the guts of it and found that there's no words programmed in there. Uh, so when I have an experience with that, I tend to take it, you know, with, with, uh, you know, some degree of reliability. But that some of these other ones, 
that are, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make it seem like I endorse one over the other, but some of these other ones, it's just like, well, of course, if you're going to program something that people are going to use on a paranormal investigation, you're going to want words like haunt, murder, dead. Those words are going to come up yeah. more often right. than not. Exactly. Exactly. And they're, they're programmed to do so. And, and someone once told me that, you know, beware of those things like the ghost radar and all those other apps because what they do is they, you know, they still can access your GPS coordinates. So even if you turn your phone into airplane mode, they still have a general idea of where you are when you do that. And so then, you know, it doesn't take, it's not that hard to put in the coordinates of like the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast and then to put in words like axe and murder to show up while you're investigating. Mm-hmm. That's hack. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and I'm, I'm Eileen in the chat room. Echo Vox V O X is a, is an app. Yes, um, just to, just to make sure there's no confusion between the physical boxes uh, that people are putting out. All right, what about the old Frank's box? Well, that's the same idea of it. Just it's sweeping through through the radio, so it's not like it's not programmed for anything in particular. But that's basic pareidolia where you could be right. hearing the but noise it, and the chaos. That's why I bring it up. But we only have a minute left, so right. I can't really get too deep into it but we can save it for next time um <laughs> i do have a hack shack and i am fond of it well yeah. i mean hold on to those because you can't get those radios anymore yeah there's no more radio shack <laughs> so i know <laughs> <laughs> it's it's more of a souvenir of the late great radio shack than anything all right well chris and clarissa thank you so much for joining us uh, again if you want to pick up the book and i want to apologize to ross who's on hold but we just uh, ran out of time we did not have a chance to get to you if you want to pick up the book you can do so now debunking common paranormal myths exploring psychosomatic pareidolia chris carr and clarissa vasquez thank you for joining us and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys more in the future about this topic because we only scratch the surface of of some of these debates and discussions we can get into absolutely anytime thank you so much all right now go get some sleep yes (laughs) you both you both earned it (laughs) thanks have a great night you too bye-bye and to uh everybody out there we are just about out of time for the show uh and and moniz i definitely think that uh you know we can we can continue this discussion uh in the future on future editions as well because we didn't even get to talk about some of our experiences with some of this stuff as yeah. well. But we'll be back next week with more of the show. If you missed any of this show or any of our other shows, check out the archives on YouTube. Download the podcast wherever you get your paranormal podcasts. And, of course, listen to the rebroadcasts on the Dark Matter Digital Network as well. If you want to uh, stay up to date with everything, follow us on social media at SpookySC on Twitter at Spooky underscore South Coast on Instagram and email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Stay spooktacular.